you constantly want to be growing your network and strengthening that to help each other out. And then also is to have a, um, a really good new business partner. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. They can get double-digit returns without the need to find, negotiate, close, and manage their properties. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us. Me and my team will appreciate it so, so much. You can always go to my website, ellieperlman.com to listen to the episodes and read the show notes as well. So our guest today is someone I personally like very much, Bill Zaylor. Bill and I met about a year ago at a real estate conference in Denver, and we kept in touch since then. And I really liked his passion for real estate and his candid and open spirit. But that's kind of on the personal side. On the professional side, he's uh, Bill's the president of Park Capital Properties, and he lives in Asheville, North Carolina. As a multifamily real estate investor and a syndicator, he founded Park Capital back in 2016 after 14 years of involvement in real estate investments. He worked with accredited investors and professionals who are interested in real estate investment diversification and financial freedom. He's been flying professionally for over 25 years and accumulated over 12,000 flight hours and seven jet types ratings, which is amazing. Today, Bill will share a story with us about his first deal, 216 units in Atlanta that almost didn't happen because of an unexpected twist in the plot right before he had to close the deal. And with that, I would like to welcome Bill to the show. Hey, Bill, how are you? Great, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to have you. And I think you have an extremely interesting story about a deal that almost didn't happen, something very unexpected. But let's take our listeners kind of back in time. Can you tell us where you are right now in terms of the timeline, you know, what month and year you are. And tell me a little bit about how you found the the property, the 216 units that you ended up buying. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, my business partner, Richard and I found this opportunity back in, it would have been uh, May 18, 2018, uh, down in Atlanta. We'd actually, it was somewhat luck. We just came in our inbox the day before. We were actually going down to look at a couple of the properties that other brokers had. Just drove by the property and happened to see the um, uh, the broker we knew standing out there giving a tour. So we texted him, had lunch, came back, and got a tour of the property. And talking to him, we found there was an opportunity to preempt it. So we went home, we ran the numbers. The numbers made sense to us, and we were able to uh, put an offer in that was accepted. And and uh, we were able to preempt the whole best and final and call for offers, which worked out well in our favor. Wow, that sounded pretty easy. Was it easy to get that deal? It wasn't. <laughs> that was the story's much shorter than that one. Yes, <laughs> how we found it. That part was all smooth up to that. 
I mean, normal things. Uh, past that, so once we started, we had under contracts, there were a few few different things that happened. Initially, we had partnered with a key principal we brought on board for the liquidity, the net worth statement, and the operational experience we needed for this loan was, in this case, was I think 750 liquid and $15 million uh, net worth to be the signature on the on the loan on our bridge we did. So uh, we had a uh, an individual who agreed to do that. We'd gotten, Richard and I had money hard from day one and continued to have to put money in as we went. As we got closer to the uh, the closing, practically, uh, actually it was 14 days out, the, the KP decided that he wanted to back out of the deal after like I said, we had our, our money hard in the deal. So that left us scrambling a little bit and we had to try to, you know, backfill that position with mm-hmm. two weeks before closing. So we had some options built into the contract for extensions also, which we, we had to exercise. But um, yeah, that was the part that kept us up at night for several weeks. So a KP, key principal, is basically the person who is supposed to sign on a loan in order to get the deal done, to make it happen. So you find this deal th- you know, off market through the relationships that you had with the broker. You find a, a KP, a key principal, someone who's willing to sign on a loan to help you close the deal. And then two weeks before you're supposed to close the deal, the KP backed out of the agreement. Can you describe the conversation that you had or your partner had with the with the key principal? Yeah, absolutely. It was even you know humorous as you look back on it that um, we use kind of their structure initially since like so they and they're very experienced operators. They him and his partner have over five thousand units in the area. Been doing it well over ten years. Do very well at it. So we were kind of you know taking some of their guidance and cues on some of the structures and. One of the structures was a little different than I think most people are used to on the back end of typical uh, syndications, usually 70-30 split, 70 for the LP partners and 30 for the GP partners on the disposition. Theirs was 50-50. It was, no, we had waterfalls built in, a typical structure, and they said, I just keep it simple, do that. So we'd kind of gone forward with a 50-50 back end split, 70-30 on the cash flow, 8% pref, fairly standard structure. But the back end was causing a little bit of issue as far as the raise. So we got, we were having a little issue with that as we were going along. And then we got to, I finally made another contact, brought somebody else on board that could raise money. And he did a, a had fabulous connections and did a, an amazing job at it. So we had just solved the equity raise part of the problem. And I thought, great. And then the very, it was within a weekend. It was within 48 hours. This popped up and our KP dropped out. So it was it was like playing whack-a-mole there for a while. We, <laughs> we solved one problem and something else popped up for us. So, right, he had some initial Maybe his business partner, I think. They had a lot going on also at the time, to be fair. I mean, they had uh, they an offer, I think, on 500 and some other units were closing in Nashville and, and some a couple of their deals closing. But I think kind of his business partner made him a little concerned about, he's, you know, the crime in Atlanta. He His business partner didn't invest in Atlanta by himself. So he mentioned that to us. It was kind of an issue with the neighborhood, he thought, the demographics of the neighborhood. So we, you know, we're not one to just do it on a motion. So we, we researched it and we found out where his properties actually were. He was currently in Atlanta and they were all within, you know, a few miles of where this property we were buying was. We looked at the crime stats in those areas, our areas, ours were, was better, uh, equal or better than anything that he was currently in down there. So we presented the facts to him. So, you know, this is, you know, we understand your concern. We've looked into it. Here's what the real numbers are from, you know, police reports, all the data we could real solid information and he still didn't want to he just wanted to back out of that point i think his partner kind of convinced him too so we lost our kp at 14 days before closing and um like i said we had a couple hundred thousand hard at that point in the deal that we couldn't 
couldn't get back. So, so when you say hard, is that can you explain our uh, listeners what do you mean when you had a hundred thousand dollars hard? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we had. Well, of course, you have pursuit costs uh, as far as the earnest money and all that. It's refundable typically in the hot market. It, it can vary some, but typically it's refundable until you finish due diligence. Once you do due diligence, it goes from refundable deposit back to hard money. That unless the seller defaults or there's some other serious breach of contract, you won't get it back just for asking. So that's, we had money sunk in there and unless mm-hmm. you know, we had no other recourse as far as they were doing everything they said they would do. So it would have been, like I said, $200,000 each lost in, in the deal if we couldn't close. And we knew it was a good deal. I mean, that was the point. It wasn't just, we had, you know, a high lesson there to learn. If it didn't close, it, um, we, we underwrote it many times each. We had professional underwriters underwrite it. Our, we had our mortgage broker, of course, to the underwriting. We've had like four or five different models. It all worked, looked good. We were sure it was a good business opportunities. The, the rents next door were two to $450 lower per unit for their renovated units. What we bought it for at 58 a door, an older property just down the street that sold for 73 a door, unrenovated. So we knew there was a great opportunity there. We had a good business plan for it. We, we just had to get to the closing line. And that's where we had to kind of scramble to, to backfill that position. So the first deal that you do with your partner, you found it off market. The numbers were great. You found a KP, which is, you know, the person who's signing on the loan and you, you know, you brought the capital, you raised the capital that you needed. And then two weeks before you have to close, you're about to lose money because you can't get back your deposit money because the KP is convinced that it's not the right deal for him and he backed out of the deal how did you feel at that point it sounds like it was i don't want to put you know words in your mouth but it sounds like it was kind of a an emotional roller coaster you know from starting with a very solid deal getting the deal and then having to you know struggle with not maybe not struggle but having to deal with the capital raise and then with the kp you know that wants to back out of the deal yeah absolutely it was was quite a roller coaster you know but at the end of the day we you know we listened to and, and somebody i guess I want to point out too it wasn't something that you know we just we'd met somebody like on linkedin or something like that we had talked to them once or twice and then they backed out we'd known this individual for a couple of years we've been talking about this mm. You know, so I mean, we were twice as surprised or blindsided kind of by, by what happened. You know, it wasn't like it was, we didn't really know him. We knew him. We saw him all the time. We said we knew there, you know, there were serious players and they are serious players in the syndication space. So there was no question that it shouldn't go forward. You know, in our mind, it, you know, the dozens of times it made its closing. And so that was, it was more of a surprise even that way from, from having kind of a personal relationship to knowing him over the years as we, as we pursued this. But yeah, at the end of the day, once we found out they weren't interested, you know, we, you know, evaluate our options and we need to go forward. So, you know, the good part about this business, I think, uh, as you know, is it's such a, um, you know, it's a network driven and, you know, it's, yeah. it's really amazing the people I've met here and built relationships with over the years. And we had, you know, a good list of contacts that we could reach out to. And so I sat down and made a list of, you know, maybe the 10 people that I thought might be a good fit for this. And then, you know, who might be interested and then reached out to them and found somebody that was willing to step in and, and, take that role for us. So we were, we were fortunate, but you know, it, it didn't matter if it took, you know, three phone calls or 300, we were going to, going to find a way to, to make sure we got that filled because it was a good deal. We were, we knew that and it wasn't just the money we had at stake, but it was also, you know, kind of launching and, you know, also we don't want to trash our reputation to the brokers from not being out of close to what we would assume was no fault of our own. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
it. So we had a lot, a lot riding on that to make this a good effort going forward. Yeah, I think it's a major, you know, part of the whole story just to make sure that, you know, you keep those strong relationships with the brokers because if you sign on a contract, you go through all the effort and then you can close a deal, that's going to hurt your reputation. It's going to make it a lot harder for you to find, you know, other deals. So all of that, you know, having in the back of your mind, that's, you know, probably a lot of pressure. When you found a great deal in a hot market like Atlanta, you know it's great. You have confirmations from multiple sources that it is, is a solid deal. And then you have two weeks to find someone who's going to be able to take a loan for tens of millions of dollars and sign. And that's not an easy task. That That's really not easy. Right. Absolutely. So there's a lot of a lot of pressure on, on us at that point, too. But um, and that goes back to, I guess, kind of what I think your two fundamental takeaways I had from this was you constantly want to be, you know, growing your network and strengthening that to help each other out. And then also is to have a, um, a really good you know, business partner. I mean, to have somebody to, to rely on as we worked on, we, we kind of divide up our tasks as we work through stuff, but it was, it, it's definitely a huge benefit, even pushing you forward. You know, you, you know, somebody else is relying on you also other than just yourself. So I think it's, it's, it was critical also to the deal. So very, very fortunate to have good partners and, and uh, build a lot of good relationships over, over the couple of years we've been pursuing this. So it's uh, that, that's what helped at the end of the day. I mean, we couldn't have just started cold calling people and going on bigger pockets and like just, you know, asking, you know, in the dark for people. So it's uh, it was definitely what made the difference. And also to your point too, about the broker relationship, uh, since we've closed on that one, that same brokerage uh, has reached out to us for other off market deals the particular sellers wanted to have somebody that we'd not closed the deal with that brokerage firm before. So they knew we could close. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's paid off since then. Again, again, it's all about the reputation and, and doing what you say you can do. That's a, a great ending to your story. I mean, it looks like it's been only 14 days that you have to deal with it, but it's, it's a lot of pressure just to find the right person uh, who would be willing to partner up with you. And I think even as, you know, to convince a passive investor to invest in two weeks, that makes sense. But to take, you know, so much responsibility and, and to take that risk of signing on the loan, even though there are ways to, you know, to mitigate a risk if it's a non-recourse, but still to find that person, that takes a lot of a lot of effort. So you ended up finding the person who would be willing to step in and sign on the loan. You were able to close it. And not only that, but you've managed to, in, you know, improve your relationships with the broker. And now this broker is giving you off-market deals and, you know, really trying. And I think that's, I mean, trying to look at the story and see, you know, what came out of it. I think not only for this deal, you managed to close it, but it also improved your reputation and uh, made you a stronger, you know, real estate investor and, and a candidate because now brokers know a stronger candidate to buy properties because now brokers know that you're good for your word that if you sign on the deal you actually you're able to close it and that's the key to succeed uh, and i think that's that's uh, i mean it's a great story i think um you know it can get a little scary also you know to think two weeks before you're supposed to close that you might not be able to you're gonna ruin your reputation you're going to lose you know the deposit money that became hard and you can't you're not going to get it back because seller is not on, you know, on default. So interesting.
is there anything different that you would do moving forward with uh, with the new deals? I was going to say that kind of leads into where, where you're saying now about the, the people we have. We truly believe now we have the right people in the right seats, you know, kind of on the bus scenario that um, we have the right team in place now. We have, you know, a, a guy that is great for equity raising. We have our contacts. We have, like I said, uh, another key principle that we work with still would be, be more than happy to work on other deals with them also. So we think we really have a good team in place. And honestly, now it's just trying to find another deal. We're, we're actively underwriting. But as you know, it's fairly competitive. And, uh, you know, yeah. out of 100 deals, you know, maybe one will make sense as far as the numbers, what people are, are wanting for it now. So I guess that's the main thing. Yeah, we, we, we truly feel like we have a good team now. And that it came from, so what we learned from it was, Make sure you have the right people in place and always have a backup plan. I mean, that for me, from the aviation side, we always have contingency planning. There's always multiple steps we, we flow through to. So I'm always a big plan of always having a, a plan B and C. So hopefully we don't have to use them on every deal, but uh, it's always good to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Bill, what's more exciting, flying an airplane or buying multifamily properties? But they're they're exciting in their in their own way. I'm trying to uh, trying to transition full time into the commercial syndication side of it. So to keep a hand in flying, we'll probably end up just buying a, my own corporate aircraft at some point and still keep a hand in it, but still be able to do multifamily full time. So combine the best of both worlds. Amazing, amazing creativity with the um, with the uh, multifamily. You know, you can as you can you know look at a million ways to increase value, and it's really limited by your thoughts and what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally agree and totally relate. So, Bill, if you can look back to your uh, 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? What piece of advice would you give yourself? So many things. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, probably like what most people say as far as, you know, just starting earlier in it. I didn't know people who were syndicating back then. Uh, I was I did some, some of those single-family homes earlier, but um, just on the scale, and, and I guess I wasn't around the right people at that time or maybe wasn't popular at that time. But um, I, I definitely would like, you know, just start earlier, basically. Um, I'm, I'm happy with the path that I've, I've gone down. So no no real regrets there. But as far as just the syndication side of it, I'm um, just, I would start earlier. And, and we, we did, you know, we, we started with scale. We didn't, you know, buy a fourplex, a 16plex, and, you know, keep going up that way. The underwriting, the numbers, all that were not, we weren't afraid to do 216 units for our first deal. And it's working out well. And we're, we're in that range. We're still looking at it for the next, the next deal in that. 15 to the 25 million dollar range total so mm-hmm. it's uh yeah i guess just uh you know learn all you can build relationships early and uh just keep pushing forward i mean i think that's where a lot of people end up failing is they they try for a little while and then they they quit or they get distracted with shiny you know shiny object syndrome they'll go look at you know self-storage and they'll go look at note flipping and then assisted living or yeah. you know try to you know instead of going wide just you know kind of get really become an expert in your field and, you know, that's where you're going to, I think, have the most success is continue to push forward and, and learn all you can about one particular asset class. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's good to diversify as a passive investor. But when you do it actively, if this is your bread and butter, you should not only, like you said, you know, know what you're doing and, and focus and stay there, but also because it's hard and I see some investors leaving the markets that I'm active in because I'm active in hot markets, I'm not going anywhere because when the market, when there's going to be a correction, I want to be there. That's because then when prices are going to go down, everyone is going to start coming back and trying to get deals. But like you mentioned, it takes time to build relationships, you know, with brokers. It's not that easy. It's not fast. And you need to stay there in order to 
be able to uh, to get the good deals when when they're going to be an abundance of them right now there's not a lot of them but those are going to stay or those that you know you want to show brokers that you're there to stay for the long term it takes time it takes energy to build relationships and i think now it's it's absolutely the wrong time to leave certain markets because they're hot it's the best time to stay and understand it just it's just going to be a little bit slower but when it's when the opportunity is going to present itself, it's going to be really, really lucrative. And and I think that's, I mean, this is one of the, the things that I have in mind every time I'm telling myself, it's hard to find deals. Market is competitive, but I'm not going anywhere. So yeah. All right, great. So Bill, where can our listeners find you? Uh, yeah, the best place would probably be uh, my website is mm-hmm. parkcapitalproperties.com. Uh, and there's links to LinkedIn and other, also Asheville Multifamily Investor Club. If you're in the Asheville area, we have a multifamily club there. We meet, uh, actually, nights are meeting. But uh, once a month, we'll meet to talk about multifamily and syndication, anything like that also. But, uh, yeah, LinkedIn or parkcapitalproperties.com. Email is just bill at parkcapitalproperties.com. All right, perfect. Thank you so much, Bill, for sharing your story and being very open about, you know, what happened there and how you were able to make it a home run and uh, and close the deal. I really appreciate it, and we're probably going to talk pretty soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Ellen, so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.